I'd like to pray for just a moment, please, before we begin. Let's unite before the Lord. Our Father, we are grateful to Thee for Thy great kindness, for the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the power of Thy Holy Spirit. Now we ask that Thou wilt minister to us through Thy Word. Sanctify us through Thy truth, Father. Thy Word is truth. In Jesus' name, with praise and thanksgiving, we ask it. Bless us. Amen. I'd like you to open your Bibles with me to a portion of the Scripture which is seldom preached upon because it upsets people. And I calculate that any section of Scripture that upsets a number of people must be worthwhile and must have a great deal to recommend it. Second Timothy, chapter 3, and then a section from chapter 4. I'm speaking today on the spirit of the age. The spirit of the age. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful and unholy, without natural affection, truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, without self-control, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn aside. And then Second Timothy chapter 4. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the living and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the words, whether it is convenient or inconvenient, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all patience and teaching, for the time will come when they will not put up with sound teaching, but after their own desires, they shall gather to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned to mythology. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. The spirit of the age in which we live 
cannot be safely ignored by the Christian church. It is not an age which breathes kindness and tolerance, compassion, understanding, or love. It is an age which brings out the very worst of the character of man. We have been, at the end of the ages, according to John, in 1 John chapter 2, for more than 2,000 years, excuse me, for almost 2,000 years. We are moving forward to the cosmic day of divine judgment. It is not unloving to tell people the truth. You can get in a lot of trouble for doing it, but if you're in the ministry of God for popularity contests, you have chosen the wrong place. You are supposed to be a witness for Jesus Christ, no matter what it costs, under whatever circumstances, face you. And the Apostle says, I charge you, it's a command, preach the word. Whether it's convenient or inconvenient. You know, there are some Christians waiting around for it to become convenient to talk about Jesus. And they sort of pick their spots. That is, they want to make absolutely certain that the first requirement is that nobody gets mad at them. Secondly, that they don't get any slack. And that when they give a witness, they can do it with a plastic smile on their face and say, Jesus loves you. Give you a few tracts, a few quotations from the gospel, tell you about how they've been born again, and they really believe when they've done that, that they have discharged their obligation to God. Well, you haven't. You're supposed to not only pass out the tracts and give the witness, you're supposed to give people reasons for your faith. You're supposed to convince, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. But people don't want to do that. The moment you rebuke evil, somebody says, that's unloving. Well, by that standard, Jesus Christ was the most unloving man that ever walked the face of the earth. Because when he encountered evil, he said, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That's just for openers. He got progressively worse. You children of the devil, you slimy generation of snakes, who has warned you to flee from the damnation of hell. You hear that kind of preaching today? Seldom. Seldom. There are so many Christians trying desperately to sound good to the world and not to offend them for fear that they won't believe the gospel, that they never get around to preaching the gospel. Now, I want to tell you something that may make you unhappy, and after careful consideration, I really don't care. But it's the truth. The Scripture says, Watch in all things, endure affliction, do the work of evangelists, make full proof of your ministry, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and teaching. Because the time is going to come when people will not listen. Surprise! 
We're here. Today, you have false teachings and false prophets that dominate our seminaries, our colleges, and our universities. Places that were paid for and financed with Christian money are now in the hands of people who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they sit in the pulpits of the earth and they manifest to the world that they are Christianity. And they have fulfilled the words of the prophet Jeremiah. The time will come when men will call what is good evil and what is evil good. It is the task of the church to reach out with the ministry of reconciliation. But it is the task of the church to study and show herself approved by God. Workmen who do not need to blush with embarrassment, rightly interpreting the word of truth. Today the church is under attack on multiple fronts. By atheism, agnosticism, skepticism, by secular humanism that poisons the minds of our children so that we can send them to school singing all hail the power of Jesus' name and they come out as if they were coming through a revolving door spouting every kind of false doctrine and teaching imaginable. We have made the mistake of thinking that if we preach Jesus Christ it is not necessary to defend his gospel. Let me tell you something. It is a command to defend the gospel of Christ. It is necessary to defend the gospel of Christ. The other night, I responded to a debate with a cultist well-known in Southern California and in 12 other states, Roy Masters. How many of you have ever heard Roy Masters on radio? Mr. Masters has the capacity to sound very Christian. And I was asked, I don't know how many times, would you go on the radio with Mr. Masters if you had the chance? I said, of course, what a wonderful opportunity to evangelize him. What a wonderful opportunity to show the contrast between truth and error. So a couple of years passed, and Mr. Masters responded and said he would like to appear with me. We met for two hours on the Bible Answer Man program because I was sure he would not invite me on his. And for two hours... I tried desperately to be loving, patient, kind, and still point out the fact that we were dealing with a wolf and she's floating. That the Masters denied the Trinity, the deity of Jesus Christ, the all-sufficiency of the atonement. He denies the authority of the Bible, and he spent the whole night saying he didn't believe it and quoting it the next breath. I said to him, words mean what they mean by definition in any given context or it's nonsense. He says, that's not true. Words don't mean anything. We went on with this game for almost two hours answering questions and my quoting him. Finally, I said to him, I noticed in one of your pamphlets you say that you want to damn all hellfire and brimstone preachers. He said, right. I said, does that include Jesus Christ? He blinked, 
looked at me sort of astounded. He said, what do you mean? I said, Jesus Christ preached more hellfire and brimstone than he ever preached on heaven. I wonder if we realize that. Everybody is not going to be saved. A great majority of mankind will not repent. And if we act as if they're going to get saved, then we never tell them the truth, then God is going to hold us accountable for their damnation. We have the light of the world. We won't let it shine. We have the bread that came down from heaven. And we won't make it available to the east. We have the spirit and the power of God. And we will not exercise the courage to confront evil. But when you do confront it and resist it, it flees from you. i got some wonderful news for you. I've been 30 years in the ministry next year. And I have been confronting evil and standing up to Satan and all the powers of darkness. And I want to tell you, God honors his word. He blesses it and he touches people. Do not try and substitute love for justice. Do not attempt to substitute love for obedience. If you really want to be a loving person, then be an obedient Christian. The scripture says over and over and over again that love and the truth are perfectly compatible. As we neared the end of our debate, the last part of which Mr. Martin Astor spent most of his time opening his mouth to exchange feet. I felt compelled to make one more try. And so in the last minute of the broadcast, I said, Roy, I want you to know that despite the fact you're a cultist and that you are into cultism, I want you to know that I love you for Christ's sake. I wish you could have seen his face. He just didn't know what to say. And so he blurted out at me, Walter, for Christ's sake, shut up. In 15 seconds, he destroyed his credibility. The whole program was worth the last 15 seconds because you could see the nature of the enemies of the gospel. They can look like us. They can sound like us. They can purr like footats. They can quote our Bible. But when we get down to the rock bottom line of Jesus Christ, they will not believe in him. They will oppose the gospel, and they will destroy the flock of God if you do not resist them in Jesus' name. It is the function of every pastor, of every man of God, to not only preach the word and feed the sheep, but for Christ's sake, stand up and defend them against the wolves and the lions and the bears that would destroy the church if we did not move out against them in Jesus' name. Christianity Today had a poll, published a poll in which they listed the Mormons as Protestants. That's right, the Mormons as Protestants. 
treating them as if they were just another branch of American Protestantism. The Gallup poll, I believe, they reproduced. Mr. Gallup should know better. He's a Christian. The Mormons have as much affinity with Christianity as I do with Hinduism. Harper's Magazine, for its swan song, published an article, which I would love to have seen 30 years ago. But 30 years ago, nobody had the courage to print it. 1980, somebody got up the courage. The last issue of Harper's Magazine says, The Cult of Mormonism. And labels it for what it is, a cult, which attacks the foundations of Christianity. 60 Minutes has finally got around to pointing out the manipulations of the Mormon church and what they do to their own people. And there are Christian organizations right now that have Mormons in membership and Jehovah's Witnesses in membership in those organizations. And when they are rebuked for it, they tell you that our job is to win people to Jesus. Whoever said that our job wasn't to win people to Jesus? But when you've got your arm around wolf instead of sheep, and you're calling the wolf brother, then you are prejudicing the gospel, and you are in a very dangerous position where Christians who don't know the truth are concerned. It is imperative that we return to the biblical standard of righteousness. It is righteous to preach Jesus Christ. It is righteous to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort. It is righteous, it is holy, it is just, and it is good to stand against the prince of darkness. Christians, if they are going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, are going to have to recognize that challenge and respond to it. Now the attack upon the church is twofold. Those who attack from without, says the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20, and they are called wolves. Christ warned of them, they are not Christian, and their attempt is to destroy the flock. Scripture says, put on the whole armor of God and resist them. Then there are those schismatic sheep, divisive Christians within the body of Christ, who foment division and strife by writing their own private hobbies, their own private doctrines, which the church has never taught, and which lead people into terrible spiritual disasters. Anybody who gets up and hawks healing and tells you that it's God's will to heal you no matter what has forgotten all systematic theology has no education of biblical theology because God is the sovereign of this universe and you will not compel him to do anything no matter what kind of faith you've got he will be God the Apostle Paul says God wants to heal us the scripture says God loves us. 
He wants to provide every good thing for us. But we are not living in an Edenic paradise. We are living in a cursed world. You are living in a body which is dying. Right now. You don't believe me? Get up in the morning and look in the mirror before you wash your face. You think you'll never get lines under your eyes and sagging under your chin and that your hair will never change color or disappear? You are a dreamer. You can exercise all the faith you want, but you still have eyeglasses. You can exercise all the faith you want, you've got china choppers for your teeth. You can talk about faith, 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 faith until now in the second coming of Jesus Christ. But if the sovereign God of the universe does not want to do it, he will not do it. As simple as that. Now, we should proclaim divine healing. We should proclaim salvation. We should proclaim all the benefits that come to the atonement of Jesus Christ. But brothers and sisters, do not fall victim to the idea that your faith can dictate the will of God because it can't. There are some people God wants sick. You say, how do you know that? Because he said so. Exodus chapter 4. Who made the eye blind, the ear deaf, and the mouth dumb? Have not I the eternal God? What do you think he meant? You don't have to be a biblical scholar to figure that out. He said, for my own sovereign purposes, I allow these things to happen. Mind your own business. That's the sovereignty of God. John chapter 9, the Lord Jesus was asked about a blind man. Did he sin? Did his parents sin that he came to be born blind? Jesus said, his parents didn't sin, he didn't sin. He is blind that the works of God may be seen in him, and he healed him. That's the sovereignty of God. It is not wrong to urge people to faith. It is not wrong to rely upon the word of God for not only the salvation of the soul, but for the healing of the mind and the body. Of course this is biblical theology. But when it gets out of perspective, so that whole movements within the church, the lives of people are disrupted and confusion begins to reign, then it is necessary for the historic view of the Christian church to come out in the open for everybody to hear it. And what I am preaching and what I am teaching right now is historic Christian theology. And it will stand in Scripture. If we ask anything, and it be in accordance with his will, he hears us. Suffering is a natural part of life. It is part of the normal Christian life. The Apostle Paul suffered, and he went to the third heaven. The Apostle Paul was floating in the deep. The Apostle Paul was persecuted, beaten, dropped over a wall, taken for dead, stoned. Would you call that the victorious Christian life? Yes, there are some people today that ignore this completely. They ignore what the Apostle Paul said, I have learned. In whatever state I am, therewith to be content. Why? Because he yielded to the sovereignty of God. And that's why he could write here, I fought a good fight. I finished my race. I kept the faith. Notice the word fight there. 
It means conflict. The spirit of this age is hostile to Jesus Christ. And you and I have been thrown into this conflict armed with the whole armor of God and filled with the Holy Spirit that we might resist Him and He will flee from us. Preach the word. Convenient or inconvenient. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all patience and doctrine. The time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. They shall gather to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears. You know what that means? That means tell you what you want to hear and make you feel good. There are schismatic sheep. There are devouring wolves. The church is in danger from both. And one word cries out from Scripture. We must have balance in the body of Christ. We must have freedom to preach, but we must be restricted by the authority of the gospel. I am a charismatic Christian. I believe in the perpetuity of spiritual gifts. I have laid hands on the sick and they have recovered. I've laid hands on the sick and they got sicker. I laid hands on the sick and they died. Should I stop praying for the sick because God says no? Of course not. I keep on praying because that's what God says I'm supposed to do. And some people say I spend a great deal of my time fighting. I do. But not with the church. With the enemies of the gospel because that's what we are commanded to do. What do you want to do? Roll over and play dead for the Roy Masters? Retreat from the Jehovah's Witnesses? Shake your head when the Mormon missionaries pedal by? Forget about the Scientologists that run off to some meeting and throw your arms up in the air and shout hallelujah and praise the Lord and glory to God while you let all of the filth of earth stay on your doorstep? That's Christianity? No, that's madness. If you're going to be an effective Christian, you have got to be not only filled with the Spirit, but empowered by the Spirit to go into the world with boldness and speak for Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, God tells us something about what He expects from us. Did you know that? He tells you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. When you meet Him at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to ask you how you manage this. So I'm giving you a preview of what you're going to face. Now you should start cracking on it right now so that you won't have an embarrassment at that time. Verse 4. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. You don't go out and grab the enemies of the gospel by the throat and swing them to the ground and jump up and down on them with golf shoes. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every proud thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and brings into captivity every thought 
to the obedience of Christ. What are we supposed to be doing? We are supposed to be armed to the teeth with the whole armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the buckle of truth, our feet shod with the preparation to preach the gospel of peace, taking a shield of faith to deflect all the flaming arrows of the wicked one, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always in the Spirit with all supplication. That is the Christian walk. That is the Christian life. That is a normal Christian experience. And after you get yourself dressed for combat, the scripture says, pull down the strongholds of the enemy. Tear down the thoughts of the devil. Attack the bastions of unbelief, their imaginations, their pride, and everything that exhorts itself or exhausts itself against the knowledge of God and bring every thought into captivity to Christ. That is the divine command. John Anderson, who is a Christian, gave one of the most nauseating displays of toadiness I've ever seen a public figure involve himself in. A few years ago, Anderson had stated that he believes that the whole country should be brought into subjugation to the Lord Jesus Christ because this country was founded by believers. A week ago, he stood in a synagogue and apologized for what he said. Because he was only a freshman senator, they would have to forgive the fact that he said everything should be in subjection to Jesus Christ. I want to tell you something, when you're going to sell out your Christianity so you can get elected to the presidency of the United States, it tells you something about how far people will fall from their faith. And that's what we're besought with on every side. Compromise. We don't want to talk to the neighbors next door because it's our neighborhood. They might get excited if we started evangelizing them aggressively. And then the neighbors wouldn't like us. Poor baby. The neighbors wouldn't like you. Suppose they threw stones through your window. Could you accept that rejoicing for the glory of Christ? Suppose they came over and said, we don't want you to say another word to us about Jesus. You said, praise the Lord, what a marvelous opportunity for me to tell you how much Jesus loves you. The world is not prepared for the love of God. It wasn't prepared for the cross. It is not prepared for us now if we are sold out to God for Christ's sake. But that takes sacrifice. That takes suffering. That takes hardship. That takes telling it like it is, no matter what it costs. Occupy till I come. You know what that means? Get your hands on everything that you can reach for and hang on to it till I get here. You think you're going to put your hands on the things of the world without conflict? You think you're going to occupy the domain of Satan without anger and wrath and power being unleashed against you? Please, if you learn nothing else from today, learn that you should not be a Christian streaker. 
A Christian seeker is somebody who has the helmet of salvation on and the preparation to preach the gospel on his feet and he's stark naked from the neck down. Never uses the breastplate of righteousness. Never uses the belt of truth. Never holds out the shield of faith. Can't handle the sword of the Spirit and is almost a total stranger to conflict. That's not what God calls you to be. How many times people have come to me during my ministry in the world of the cults, the occult, and they've said, I don't know what's the matter with my Christian life. I don't have the power I had when I first received Jesus. I don't have the power when I was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Everything seems to be going wrong. I don't have a hunger and thirst for the Word of God. And they go on for five or ten minutes in a litany of defeat. You know what they are? They're Christian streakers running through the battle of life with the flaming arrows of the wicked ones sticking out of their spiritual rears. And they don't know why. Because the soldier goes which way in combat? Well then, louder. Forward, isn't that right? And when you turn around, guess what happens? That's exactly what happens to Christians today. Now, time, our mortal enemy, is upon us, rushing by, and so I want to conclude. What can the Christian do? Faced with the indignation, the fury, the wrath, and the corruption of the age in which we live. How do we deal with it? Number one, Fulfill the normal Christian life. That's what the armor of God is. It's the helmet of your salvation. The breastplate of Christ's righteousness. Everything held together by the truth, which is the Lord Jesus. Your feet shod with the preparation to preach the gospel means the willingness to carry Christ's message. The sword of the Spirit is the word of God to use it. Quick and powerful. Penetrating to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and judges the thoughts and the intent of the heart. And take the shield of faith. Faith in who he is and what he did on Calvary for you and me. Hold it in front of us and march onward, forward in confidence and in power. It does no good to talk about being born again and filled with the Holy Spirit if one is starved for the Word of God. It does no good to talk about the vocabulary of Christianity and run around saying, Hallelujah, God bless you, brother. Praise the Lord. Glory to Jesus. If all you've got is a vocabulary instead of a living personal experience. I'm a charismatic. I believe in personal experience with God. But I believe that all experience is to be tested by the Word of God so you know what you're doing. Paul said, I fought a good fight. Have you? I finished the race. Will you? I've kept the faith. Can you? The name of the game 
is obedience. The name of the game is submission. The name of the game is to be willing to submit ourselves to the mighty hand of God that we may be able to successfully resist the devil that he may flee from us. There isn't a corrupt theological seminary professor alive. There is not a corrupt cultist alive. There is not a corrupt unbeliever on the face of this earth that will not ultimately submit to the authority and to the power of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our job is not to become alarmed at the spirit of the age. Our job isn't to flee from it. Our job is to put on the whole armor of God and meet it head on. And the scripture says, resist the devil. He will flee from you. I would like to leave you with this thought. Your task and mine is to convey the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost world. Now, if you don't believe that that world is lost, what in the world are you claiming to be a Christian for? If you don't believe that the destiny of men who reject Jesus Christ is eternal fire, why are you bothering to call yourself a Christian? Because the spirit of this age is universalism. All the, all the in free, everybody's going to be saved. No, it isn't. It's not the truth. Jesus said, he that believes on the Son possesses everlasting life. And he that will not obey the Son will never see life, but the wrath of God continues to abide upon him. Do not be afraid to tell the truth about the destiny of the souls of men, because you're afraid that they may be offended. Tell them the truth. Do not back away from conflict. Get dressed for battle and go straight ahead, and God will bless you. Don't give up and settle for a namby-pamby, wishy-washy, mealy-mouthed Jesus and Christianity. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner. It must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his armies shall he lead. Till every foe is vanquished and Christ is Lord indeed. You're tuned in with the underground Christian.